I'm Father Ron Shipley, founder and director of the Anglican Internet Church, and I welcome you to the fourth edition of episode 15 in the New Testament Gospels, an AIC Bible study video series. In this episode, I begin discussion of St. Luke's narrative of the only glimpse we have in Scripture of the boyhood of Jesus between the nativity and infancy narratives and the start of his ministry as an adult man in Galilee at about age 28 or 29. In this episode, I also discuss the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist that immediately preceded the start of his ministry in Galilee. At the end of the episode, I will point out where material presented in episode 15 is discussed in the new AIC bookstore publication, The Gospel of Luke, Annotated and Illustrated. As we re-enter our story, the Holy Family is on their traditional trip to Jerusalem for the Passover feast in the boy's twelfth year. When Luke says, according to the custom of the feast, in verse 42, he is referring to the Mosaic Law requirement in Exodus 24, verses 14 to 16, and 34, 18 to 26, and Deuteronomy 16, 1 to 7, that those males who lived outside Jerusalem would go to the city of David three times a year at the feasts of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. The straight-line distance from Bethlehem to Jerusalem on the map in the illustration is about 80 miles, but the travel time was about three days. For families, the tradition was to travel in an extended group, including immediate family, as well as relatives and friends. In staying focused on the major themes, St. Luke tells readers nothing of what the Holy Family did at Jerusalem. He picks up the story in verse 43, writing, When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. In verses 44 and 45, he tells of how they were one full day on the road back to Nazareth when they discovered that Jesus was not with them, and not finding him among the traveling party, they turned back to Jerusalem to look for him. The illustration is Jesus found in the temple, an opaque watercolor over graphite on gray wove paper, painted between 1886 and 1894 by French artist James Tissot from the collection of the Brooklyn Museum, Brooklyn, New York. Here is St. Luke's account. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. The question often arises, why did it take Mary and Joseph three days to find him? A possible practical answer is that the last place they thought to look for a 12-year-old was in the temple. St. Ambrose of Milan believed that it was symbolic of the three days among the dead before the resurrection. The illustrations are first teaching the doctors in the temple, the central detail from a second quarter 20th century stained glass window by Franz Mayer of Munich at St. Joseph's Villa Chapel, Richmond, Virginia, 
from the AIC Bookstore publication, Paintings on Light, and second, a first quarter 20th century Munich style stained glass window teaching in the temple at the National Shrine of St. Francis Assisi, San Francisco, California. There is a great difference in interpretation of the scene between the Protestant and Catholic views of this encounter. In the more Catholic or Orthodox view shared by Roman Catholics, Anglicans, and Eastern Orthodox scholars, the scene is often labeled teaching the doctors in the temple. The doctors means the principal leaders, scholars, and interpreters within the Jewish religious community. In St. Luke's account, we have the statements that he, quote, listened, unquote, and asked questions, and that, quote, all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. The New King James Study Bible says that he was not lecturing them, but for the doctors of the temple, there was nothing in the history of the boy Jesus of Nazareth that would have suggested how and where he came to know those facts and doctrines. I call it the Catholic slash Orthodox answer is that he knew them from his father. The illustration is Jesus among the doctors in the temple, another watercolor by James Tissot from the previously cited collection at the Brooklyn Museum. That relationship with his father is made clear in the next verses in which Mary questions him in verse 48b, saying, Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have sought you anxiously. And which Jesus answers in verse 49, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? This is the first mention in St. Luke's Gospel of Jesus having another father other than Joseph. I was asked via Facebook a few years ago if I taught that Jesus had two fathers. Traditional Christian interpretation based upon St. Matthew's genealogy discussed in episode 2 and episode 3 is that Joseph was Jesus' legal father, entitling him to claim succession to kingship through Joseph in the line of David, but that Joseph was not his biological father. The conflict over just who was Jesus' father came to a climax in John chapter 8, leading up to the famous Before Abraham Was, I Am declaration in John 8.58. The illustration is betroth the betrothal of Joseph and Mary, another late 19th century watercolor by James Tissot. It was used in, the, in episode 14 in the discussion of the meaning of the word betrothal. According to St. Luke's account, the statement in verse 49 puzzled both Mary and Joseph, and he observes in verse 40 that they, quote, did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. This should be seen in the context not only of Mary and Joseph's confusion or puzzlement, but also that of the disciples, who, according to St. John, did not truly understand Jesus' identity 
or the purpose of his incarnation until after the combination of his crucifixion, death upon the cross, resurrection, and post-resurrection appearances. The encounter in the temple in his youth may be thought of as a kind of coming-of-age story, since it happened around the time when a Jewish boy was considered to have entered his manhood and been fully subject to the Mosaic law. That age in current Hebrew practice is 13. It certainly offers a useful transition between the dual nativity narratives of both Jesus and John the Baptist in chapters 1 and chapter 2 and the reintroduction of John the Baptist as an adult in chapter 3. St. Luke also provides another of his transitions in this boyhood of Jesus summary, which is verses 51 and 52. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This means that in the temple, he was doing his heavenly father's work, preparing for his ministry as an adult. But back in Nazareth, he was, quote, subject to them, meaning the obligation to fulfill the requirement of the commandment to honor his father and his mother. It is also an acknowledgment that, quote, Mary kept all these things in her heart. At the start of chapter 3, St. Luke telescopes time once again, leaping forward to the start of Jesus' ministry as an adult man in Galilee. Part of the transition includes the reintroduction of John the Baptist, last seen at the end of chapter 1 in the transition verse in 180, So the Child Grew, and his father Zacharias' song, The Benedictus, discussed in episode 13. In his account, we hear more of the actual teachings of John the Baptist than in any other gospel. But first, as he did after the prologue, St. Luke sets the stage by establishing the time frame and introducing the various players, starting with the imperial structure of the Holy Roman Empire in the Holy Land and the leadership of the temple in Jerusalem ending with Zacharias and his son John. It is possible that St. Luke used names here because many of those he identifies will be important later in his narrative of the life of Christ. The time is the 15th year of the rule of Tiberius Caesar, emperor from 14 AD to 37 AD, which puts St. Luke's narrative in about 28 A.D. Pontius Pilate was governor of the former Jewish region of Judea, where he ruled from 26 A.D. to 36 A.D., and the, quote, tetrarch, unquote, Herod, who ruled over Galilee, and his brother Philip, who ruled over Iturea, a small region at the base of Mount Hermon, and which is only mentioned once in the New Testament here in the Gospel of St. Luke. Another figure mentioned is Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, or Abilene, as some say, 
a territory once part of Iturea in the mountains of eastern Lebanon, about 20 miles north of the present-day Damascus, Syria, and east of the anti-Lebanon mountains. And you can see the notations on the 19th century map of Syria near the town of Abilene. Also mentioned are the two leaders of the temple, Annas, who had been chief priest of the temple until he was deposed by the Romans and replaced by the second man who is named Caiaphas. But it is believed that Annas, Caiaphas's father, still had held power behind the scenes. According to the Orthodox Study Bible, New Testament, and Psalms edition, Caiaphas was chief priest from 18 AD to 36 AD. Zacharias is mentioned for the final time in St. Luke's Gospel in verse 3, along with his son John, noted his ministry preaching and baptizing in the Jordan River. As I noted in episode 7, John's form of baptism is not the same as the Christian sacrament of baptism, but was a preparation for the coming of the Messiah. It is in the context of preparation that St. Luke introduces the words of Isaiah the prophet in the longest form of a prophetic quotation, which also appears in short form in Matthew 1, verse 3, Mark 1, verse 3, and John 1, verse 23. St. John the Baptist is called the, quote, voice crying in the wilderness, unquote. St. Luke's choice of the words of the prophet Isaiah emphasizes not just the prophetic elements, that is, preparation, making his path straight, but also the magnitude of the problem, leveling mountains to prepare the way for the, quote, salvation of God, unquote, in verse 6. The NKJV text quotes from the Greek Septuagint translation. The illustration is a second quarter 12th century illumination of Isaiah from the Siegberg lectionary, which was made at the Benedictine Abbey of St. Michael, Siegberg, Germany, from the Harley Manuscripts Collection of the British Library, London, England. Like St. Matthew, St. Luke quotes both accusations and wisdom from John the Baptist, but he also offers three unique sayings not heard elsewhere in the Gospels to those who sought baptism at his hand. Luke presents these using the question format three times. What shall we do to the people he advises the one who has two tunics to give one to someone who has none in verse 11? To the tax collector, he counseled him to, quote, collect no more than is appointed for you in verse 13. And to the soldiers, do not intimidate anyone or accuse them falsely and also to be content with their wages in verse 14. The illustration is a detail of John the Baptist, which I drew from a, extracted from a Russian Orthodox icon of the resurrection, the harrowing of Hades. In St. Luke's narrative, St. John explains his own rite of baptism, makes an iconic statement that includes a prophecy. 
Indeed, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The prophecy of baptism by, quote, the Holy Spirit and fire is also reported in Matthew 3, 11. Because of my, my focus in the discussion of the Gospel of St. Matthew was on events in the life of Jesus as fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, I did not make any comments on the meaning of the word fire, but will do so now. Baptism by fire is an unfamiliar concept in the Western Church. The concept is more extensively developed in Robert Payne's The Holy Fire, The Story of the Fathers of the Eastern Church. In this understanding, this fire is related to the burning bush and pillar of fire from the Old Testament, both of them signs of the presence of God. In the Eastern Church tradition, the term baptism by the Holy Spirit and fire is seen as a parallel to the tongues of fire, or in the New King James text, divided tongues as of fire, which accompany the Holy Spirit in the Spirit's descent upon the apostles described in Acts chapter 3, verse 3. The Orthodox Study Bible New Testament and Psalms edition describes the descent at Pentecost as the fulfillment of John's prophecy in Luke 3, 16, and in Matthew 3, verse 11. The important theological point is that this fire, like the fire in the burning bush, does not consume but cleanses. One might say in Western church terms that John's prophecy of baptism by the Holy Spirit and fire refers to a spiritual fire which accompanies the washing away of sins before the entry into one's heart of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of a new life in Christ for the new Christian. St. Luke's own account of the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan by John the Baptist is short and to the point, offering nothing in addition to the accounts of St. Matthew, St. Mark, and St. John. It includes his typical phrase, it came to pass. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. The illustration is an illumination in tempera and gold on parchment in the Ottonian style from the Hitta Codex, made in honor of Hitta, abbess of Mesheda, Germany, around 1020 AD, from an original in the Universitats und Landesbibliothek Darmstadt, Germany, and also published in the York Project's 10,000 Masterworks DVD. The scene is one of rare the rare surviving scenes in the life of Christ which were made at Cologne, Germany during the reign of the Ottonian Saxon Holy Roman Emperor's successors to Charlemagne. 
Other AIC resources on topics discussed in this episode are in this same series, New Testament Gospels, the baptism of Christ in the Gospel of St. Mark was discussed and illustrated in Episode 7, and the unique I Am declarations of Jesus in the Gospel of St. John, including the Before Abraham Was I Am statement in John 8:58 mentioned in the text, are, these are the subjects of Episode 29 through Episode 35. From our long-running podcast homily series, you can listen to the latest version of my podcast homily for Second Sunday in Advent, entitled The Fire of Judgment, using the link on the podcast homilies page. From the AIC Christian Education video series, The Lives of the Saints, from the first series, St. John is the focus of episode four, St. Mark of episode seven, John the Baptist of 15, Matthew of 14, and St. Luke of episode 15. From the second series, Ambrose of Milan is featured in episode 4. From the AIC Bookstore Publications, the Gospel of Luke Annotated and Illustrated, topics in this episode are from Chapter 2, Luke's Unique Account of the Boyhood of Jesus, and the start of his ministry in Galilee, and from chapter 3, the return of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. The illustration is from the De Grey Hours, a 15th century manuscript produced in Wales from the collection of the National Library of Wales. Layman's Lexicon. Words and phrases of interest are the entries for Father, fire slash cleansing fire, Holy Spirit, judgment, kingdom, Messiah, and salvation. From paintings on light, the stained glass windows of St. Joseph's Villa Chapel, the stained glass window teaching the doctors in the temple is featured on page 38. In the writing prophets of the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah is discussed and illustrated on pages 13 to 20 with a text box, Isaiah in Christian Liturgy, on page 16. Finally, there's Father Ron's blog, a page on our website featuring information about the latest projects, videos, and publications. Blog entries usually include an illustration from the featured series. You can reach the blog page by clicking the Father Ron's blog link at the top or bottom of any page on the website. Or you can enter the direct URL address in your browser, www.anglicaninternetchurch.net right slash blog with all small letters. By clicking on the Follow Anglican Internet Church legend in the right-hand column and afterward sharing your email address, you can receive notice of each new blog posting from our site host web uh, excuse me, wordpress.com. Please be assured that we do not share email addresses or other information with any other organization. Thank you for joining me for episode 15. Next time in episode 16, I will discuss the genealogy of Jesus in Luke 3, verses 23 to 38, especially how and why it differs from the one in the Gospel of St. Matthew. 
then discuss the temptation of Christ in chapter 4, 1 to 13, and move along to the start of Jesus's ministry in Galilee, beginning at Nazareth, where he quotes a different set of verses from the prophet Isaiah than those cited in St. Matthew and St. Mark's accounts. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Glory be to God for all things. Amen. This program has been a presentation of the Anglican Internet Church. We invite you to visit our website and use its resources at www.anglicaninternetchurch.net.